Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Hout, AIM Coach, and this is episode 111. And 111 is a little bit different because it's an athlete interview. It's one of the consults that um, an athlete set up with me, and he agreed that we record it, and then we discuss his endurance goals, his upcoming races, um, how he got into the sport, what drives him about this sport and then and this lifestyle of course and then his future curiosities endeavors and what he would like to explore as an ultra endurance athlete and why so this is a uh, different type of episode one that you have heard similar from before Um, it's an example of the consults i do not all of them do i put online or put on a podcast because you know, some of the topics we talk about might be sensitive or difficult with regards to the athlete needing advice, or they might be um, sensitive to that how new they are or nervous and how they're having to disclose sort of their lifestyle with regards to the hours that they spend or don't spend or the stresses in their lives and so forth. But every now and then I have one that comes across really smooth and um, really highlights how this can work and the excitement too. That's part of the fun in this um, episode is that you hear the excitement in his voice, in Brett's voice, and you can sense that um, curiosity to explore what the body's capable of. He used to be an athlete in college and we talk a little bit about that, but then now he's moved into more the individual endeavors and figuring out how to stay fit and strong, but also stay healthy and longevity and maintain a lifestyle that is going to, you know, allow him to explore a different part of his personality and learn new things. Part of being an athlete too is continuously challenging ourselves also mentally with the things we're learning. And endurance athletics, I have found, I don't have much experience with other ones, um, let's say more team-oriented sports or more technical sports with regards to gear and equipment, let's say like kayaking or mountaineering, but uh, is that we continue to challenge ourselves and explore our horizons in learning, in learning new skills and learning how our body works and learning to listen to our body. And so that's a big theme in this podcast as well. I am... Um, I'm uploading this podcast also because I just moved this week. I'm trying to get things squared away um, in a new house and Wi-Fi connections and this studio, for example, where I'm working. I wouldn't call it a studio, an office, but um, I'd like to make it so that it sounds really good for the podcast and changing some of the microphones and setups and so far. Not that I have a big production, but it not echoing would be a nice thing. So, all right, without much further ado, let's dive right into the episode and I will get back to unpacking and setting up and getting more work done. And I have a variety of questions from you that I'm looking forward to answering on this next episode that I will record later this week. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you for listening as always, and I hope you enjoy this. Please let me know what you think. Well, this is good. Um, it should be interesting to hear how you've gone about your training over the last few weeks. I took You sent me your training plan or guideline outline of what you're doing. And um, so that have you been following that pretty diligently? 
So pretty diligently the last couple weeks. So just to give you some context, so I was following a different free plan for a couple months up to my first 70.3 in June. And then, um, you know, I was, to be honest with you, the training, you know, it's, it's the first time. So you're learning so much every single time you're going out. So after I completed that, I probably took two to three weeks off of triathlon training. Like I was just kind of lifting weights, which I was doing before I got into triathlon anyway, a little bit on the elliptical, a little bit running. And then for the past two, two to three weeks, I've been starting to gear back up for this next 70.3 in Lake Placid. Right on. So let's go a little bit through your background um, so I get a better idea of what we're talking about here. You say you're a, you were a college athlete. In what sport? So I actually played baseball. Oh, right on. Right yeah. On. So I was a pitcher, which is interesting because known for doing a lot of running, but I actually hated running in college. I was lifted a lot of weights, but I was pretty bad at running. So Right on. Right on. Yeah. And then so, um, where was that, if I may so ask? I, yeah, so I uh, so I played at Seton Hall, which is a small Division One in New Jersey. So I went there for two years, and then I transferred to uh, Babson College, which is a small D three in Boston, and that's where I finished up my career. Right on, right on. All right. Well, I know Seton Hall. They've, they've uh, put a few uh, Hurley kids out there. Oh my gosh! Yeah, the uh, those Italians from North Jersey, man, they're tough. You know. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, and so, uh, and then you sort of put sports behind you after college, and did you do anything other than the typical gym time, occasional working out time until this last year, or did you do anything else? Yeah, so just to, yeah, to give you like a little bit of the full story, so graduated May of 2017, um, just did the typical like strength training, kind of like powerlifting type stuff that our yep. trainer had us doing. Um, was drinking a lot of beer at the time, typical college partying stuff, yep. um, and was doing that for a couple months after graduation. And one of my buddies saw a picture of me online and he goes, he texted me, he goes, dude, you look like absolute shit. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, and sometimes when people tell you mean stuff like that, it might be mean, but it doesn't mean that it's untrue. Yeah. So, you know, so I was like, all right, I want to, let me start to lean out a little bit. And coincidentally, at the same time, I was listening to a lot of like Jocko podcast, David Goggins on Rich's podcast. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and he's talking about this endurance mindset. And I, you know, kind of long term always had a goal of wanting to do something like that, but never could run past a couple miles. Um, so I was living in New York City at the time or sorry, working in New York City, living in my parents home in Princeton, New Jersey, which has a ton of just awesome trails and, and stuff like that. So, you know, just started kind of chipping away little by little, just working up some mileage. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the definition of like exercising and not training, like you always talk about on your podcast. Mm -hmm. um, and then I got to a point, I think it was March of 2018. I saw that Rutgers was having a local half marathon and the most I'd ever run was like eight miles. And I was saying to myself, all right, I could definitely do this. So trained pretty diligently for that. Did the first half marathon in May of 2018. Did a second half marathon in June, did a third one in September, and I think I did a fourth one right after that. And that's I, – I honestly don't even remember how I stumbled in a triathlon. I think I just – I'm a big YouTube content-consuming type guy, um, and, I, and I fell into some Lionel Sanders stuff on YouTube and just got more and more interested in it. 
and just got to a phase where I said to myself, I really want to just sign up for something that scares me. Like that feeling of, you know, before I would pitch on the mound, like I hadn't had that feeling in the professional world in so long. Mm -hmm. Uh, So May of May of 2018, I signed up for that 70.3 in Middlebury, Connecticut, Uh and literally had no idea what I was doing, you know, no coaching, just kind of going out there on my own, going to the local local bike shop, buying a road bike, and just kind of consuming as much content as possible and chipping away at it. So, um, you know, in that experience, I, I and honestly, the night before the race, I can't tell you the like the last time that I was that nervous for an actual for anything in my life, which is a cool feeling because you know, it's so important to kind of gravitate towards stuff that actually scares you. And, you know, there were so many nights in the, you know, whether you're swimming or, or biking and stuff like that, where you're, you're unsure of, Hey, can I even do this thing? Like what's going to happen? Your mind starts playing all these tricks on you. Um, and so, you know, did the race absolutely incredible, humbling experience. And that feeling of finishing the race was just, you know, something that I hadn't had in so long that, you know, I really just want to try and take it to the next level and, you know, just, just go all in and really make that transition from just fit guy that wants to do triathlon to like, you know, really starting to to put some time in for this and see what I can get out of the sport. Okay. Let me ask some questions here. So, um, your half marathon, what did you, uh, what did you, uh, top out at? What was your time there? So, so the first, so I topped out at 158, which, which was, was the, the first time I ever ran it. And the reason why I top, you would think that I would, be no. getting better times the last couple, but I was like, I would sign up for the next couple, like a week in advance. You know what I mean? So I wasn't yeah. really training for it. The first one was the only one that I actually trained for. So it was 158. And then the last couple were right around like two hours, I think. Or one yeah. was like 159. So, and then which, uh, for which 70.3 did you just do? Or did, was did, your first? It was Middlebury, Connecticut. Okay. Is that, is that part of the M dot series? Is it, it, well, so Ironman just bought it. Oh, okay. Here, what was it? What was the name of it? Uh, Quasi, Quasi, I think. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. It was a good course too. It was like yeah. I think it was four thousand feet of climbing on the bike, and then a thousand on the run. Yeah. Uh, so on the bike, it was I was either going five miles an hour on the way up, or like just forty on the way down. So it was it was fun. <laughs> it was good. It was a good time, man. I like it. And um, let me ask you um, your splits for that. Do you know them approximately? So in terms of like the split between the bike, the yeah, run, the swim. Yeah. So the swim was cut in half. So I think the swim was only 800 yards. And I think my time was 18 minutes for that, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Uh, Why was it cut in half? So that it was really bad fog. Oh, gotcha. Uh, I heard about that, yeah. It was bad fog. I was worried they were going to cancel it because you're like, I want to at least get the swim. I don't want to just do like a, a bike and a run. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it was an 800. It was an 800. It was, yeah, I think an 800 meter swim, which was like 18 minutes. And that was interesting because it was a true washing machine because no one could get any rhythm because you were all just, it was like a scattered start time. Yeah. Um, so it was 18 minutes on that. The bike was 345, and then the run was, I think, 210. Okay, two ten, and I'm sorry. What was the bike? The bike was three forty five. Gotcha. All right. And so now you're getting you're getting ready for seventy point three Lake Placid, right? Yes. You're doing the full Monty of diving into the M dot experience. Yes. And so you've been following different training plans and 
you're sort of uh, all over the place when it comes to knowing what to do. Is that right or do I have that wrong? No, I think that saying that I'm all over the place is probably an understatement. Yeah. 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 And um, so just a few more questions. What, what makes you, what, why triathlon like versus OCRs, like obstacle course racing, like Spartan races or Tough Mudders or other events? Is there something that you really enjoy about the swim, bike, run, or is it just that's where you ended up right now? Was there, is there something specific there? Um, to be honest with you, it was just part of it was just reading Rich's book, talking about Ultraman, and just David Goggins talking about it too. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know. It's just there's something that just compelled me to do it. Like I'm a, I look up to a lot of different people, and you just, I just read a lot about those guys, and it just always kind of attracted me to it. And there's just something to be said, just to be said about the one percenters that actually go out and do a full on Ironman. There's just always that something that's kind of compelled me in that direction, and I. You know, I can't pinpoint it. It's just like that's kind of the feeling that I have. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the interesting thing is for most of it, us, endurance is something unknown, even mm. from childhood. It's not like something where you go, as a kid, I was able to do this, but then life got in the way. But in, in true endurance events and ultra endurance events is a whole new realm for the human being once they've reached a mature age and that can be you know obviously you're just grown up not just when you're a teenager you break your body but yeah it, it keeps the curiosity and the fear out there of what am I me myself and I n plus one capable of so that's pretty um it's pretty common cool cool so now you're gonna move to 70.3 Lake Placid and then did you have a plan to go beyond that or are you just trying to see what you can do for this? I mean the way that my mind feels, I don't know, I, I just I want to do a full so bad. Mm -hmm. um, just want to figure something out that makes sense logistically and just try and I'd love to kind of brainstorm that with you today. I know that like a goal that I have in the back of my mind is I'd love for 2020 to be the year that I do my first full and, and knock that out and really enjoy that experience. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's the fun part. Being 25 and having this whole canvas of endurance and adventures in front of you is a pretty awesome I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so Chris, and that was the other thing too is like I listen to, I listen to your podcast a lot. And I know that, you know, you work with multiple different executives that, you know, maybe they didn't get into triathlon until they were like 40, you know, 40, yeah. Yeah. late 30s. And I'm like, I'm so lucky that I was able to stumble into this at 25. Yeah. I feel lucky and I want to just make the most of that opportunity and balance that with, you know, not doing too much too early and burning out, but just kind of fueling that, that desire too. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, it could work out really, really well for you and that you have an amazing platform and foundation to jump off and do anything um, in that realm that you would like to, whether it's Ironman, whether it's um, mountaineering, whether it's ultra running up in the sky races to expeditions, multi-day adventures. I mean, there's so much fun to be had. And I talk to athletes every day, whether on email or on phone calls or different platforms of there's always an adventure. Like don't limit yourself, meaning not just to a, a type of adventure, but also limit yourself to thinking, well, now I can't do this. I can only bike because my knees hurt and my, I can't run anymore. Well, 
we can find cycling adventures that will blow people's mind away. It's just you, you got to get immersed into that world. But that's Absolutely. cool. That's really cool. Um, Absolutely. All right. Oh, wait, so, and Chris, yeah. sorry, last thing too. I, I'm, I know I'm all over the place. I forgot to mention I also did a marathon in this uh, early May of 2019 a couple months ago. And I, I kind of signed up for that sporadically. So that was also <laughs> mixed in there too. You're just You're just diving in. Which marathon was that? It was the New Jersey Marathon. Yeah, I've heard awesome. of that. Yeah, is oh, that that's awesome. in May, right? Yeah, right in right in May. It was like April twenty eighth, right yeah. in Asbury Park. Um, <laughs> Would you go yeah, down to was, the down the beach, down the coast, and back? Yes. Yeah. It was. <laughs> it was. It was so flat too, which was perfect. And um, my roommate's kind of similar to me, where he's a little bit, you know, he loves to dive into stuff too. So we're looking at this thing, and we just decided to sign up for it together. And we decided no matter how either of us was feeling, we're sticking together the entire time. Yeah. And it was such a cool thing. That's um, great. That's so yeah, cool. But yeah. So you did a marathon at the shore. <laughs> did a marathon at the Jersey Shore, man. It's uh, got to do it. <laughs> well, I know Jersey well since, I mean, I spent my youth there. So there's not a corner of that state that doesn't make me laugh in some ways because of all the memories I have. Um, right, so Chris, you're from Jersey? I didn't know that. Yeah, I uh, my, spent my younger years before I moved to Germany and uh, went to boarding school there. I lived in Tenafly, New Jersey. Nice. Okay. Um, and I was born in New York City. Okay. Many people don't know that. And lived um, while my I was in boarding school. I came home um, from school, and my parents lived in Manhattan um, on Fifty Eighth and ooh, right by, right by Columbus Circle. Maybe that's Fifty Second or Fifty Fourth. So. Uh -huh. um, yeah, so many years in New York. So, nice. and I'm 57th and first, by the way. So okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I know exactly where you are. So yeah. So um. So now the question is for you. You had also mentioned. Let me just recap here that biking is your weakest link. You no noticed. A hundred percent. Yeah, I can see that with that 345 staring at me. And yes. the challenge with biking is its frequency and building up the legs and the body and the physiology in order to do the biking portion, right? In most uh -huh. cases, we learn to cycle as kids or in college that it's just a, a means of transportation. You just go hard or you just yeah. ride it and it's, it gets you there. But to truly train on it, it takes a while to become efficient in your motion. And I pull most any um, of my athletes that have a sports background, I try to pull into what they used to do. And yeah. just like you're learning the motion, you know, whether it's the power T of throwing, as well as just sort of learning how to f balance yourself on the mound and falling off the mound and all those little different intricacies, that happens on the bike as well. How to corner, and not necessarily because you're going fast or, in your case, throwing hard, but it's all those subtle little movements that you learn over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of repetitions to get more efficient, smooth, and fluid in, in your case, delivery. In this case, cycling cadence and motion and how you're sitting on the bike and posture, and your body just settles in better in order to then do bigger volume of that better cycling volume. Of yeah, that cycling sure. motion, excuse me. And just like you did in, in pitching, just reps and reps of an efficient movement and then eventually bringing the velocity up, 
eventually putting more oomph behind that throw, eventually locating more and pitching instead of throwing, right? And sort of just gradually bringing the skill up. And that's what takes time in cycling more than anything because it's just volume, it's efficiency, and then the harder part is, too, understanding that you don't want to go too hard on the bike in a triathlon because it's a means to an end to get you to the run in order to run what you're capable of running based off of your training. And a 210 is, is pretty solid on the back end of that given that, let's say, your best was 158. You probably could have gone faster. Let's say you're a 145 guy. But 210 is still pretty solid. Um and a good starting point to start getting faster in that respect too. Yeah. And, and, and Chris, just to give you some more context on the bike in general. So I really hadn't been on a bike literally probably 12 years. I don't know for whatever reason, I just hadn't been on a bike in a long time when I signed up for this thing. Um, so I, so I buy, I probably, I bought the bike in January and just had it hooked up to an indoor trainer being in New York city and just kept thinking in the back of my mind, I need to get this thing outside. I need to get this thing outside, not doing it, just going on the trainer, doing my workouts on trainer road. Uh, you know, next thing I know it's a month to the race. So I'm like, Oh my gosh, I've never, I haven't even taken this thing on the road one time. I don't even know how to clip into the pedals. Yeah. So I wake, up, I wake up one morning, it's 5 o'clock in the morning, I'm like, all right, I'm going to go to Central Park, I'm going to get like a nice 30 miler in right now. Yep. Uh, I fell and ate shit probably five different times, I couldn't even clip onto the bike, through the bike, so, like, you know, all scatterbrained, all, all, I'm like, how am I even going to do this race in a month? Yeah. Yeah. So just, we've just all, we've all yeah. been there, I've been there, I've been frustrated yeah. like that myself too. I bought the wrong size bike the first time I bought a bike, um, uh-huh. so I looked like a complete clown on it. Um, yeah. And you know, clipping in, same thing. So those things will all come to you, and yeah. for for you, it's just more a question again. It's it's a hard um, hurdle to overcome right now because the difficulty of the bike, the humbling experience that it will be at Lake Placid. You're going to be in a in an environment where people take it very seriously. You're going to have all kinds of aggro, high-end, quality cyclists and gear equipment there, and it's going to it's going to be humbling. It just is. Yeah. Um, for you're new to the sport and just like in any sport, it takes a while to sort of become proficient in there. It's not like you can take any high school kid and just throw him into college baseball either, right? 100%. Um, and so and so the hurdle now is more just being patient with it, understanding that these trials and tribulations of logistics and training and difficulty and feeling sort of a little bit clownish out there while you're doing it is all part of it. And um, it, it's, we've all been through those growing pains. and But you kick out the other side with a totally different appreciation and understanding. You're learning to listen to your body and grow and get the fitness ever so gradually, right? And from that, it's just a question for you of frequency. So again, what I always say is I would not spend, when's uh, Placid, late September or early September? September 16th. Yeah, so I would spend very little time swimming um, because again, what I always say is the swimming time you're going to spend a fair amount of getting there, trying to swim in the pool, getting out, not sure even where you swim, like asphalt green or 
So the, you know what the best part is, Chris, is they have Stuyvesant High School in Tribeca. Oh, yeah. Two, 200 bucks for the entire year and you can I go so I swim at night after work which is perfect okay. that's yeah good. so but um, you're only gonna get max on a 1.2 mile swim you'll get two three minutes faster yeah but spending more time cycling you're gonna get 10 15 20 minutes faster just because you spent more time on the bike right um, so that that would be my focus first. Okay. I would also focus on, I wouldn't necessarily go much longer. You only have about a month left. So I wouldn't yeah. go much longer than two, two and a half hours. doesn't need to be anything distance-wise, but more the time-wise. Because okay. again, you did 345 in your first. Um, knowing Lake Placid's course pretty well, um, it's similar to the climbing of what you did at um, Middlebury. It's yeah. just a little bit different. Um, but... Um, you, it's more climbing than you think. You're sort of annoyed by it, actually, when you're wow. riding it. You're like, man, it didn't look this hilly. And <laughs> then, um, but that's where you want to find some efficiency and just go through it smoother and, um, you know, more in control, more familiar with what you're experiencing. Because again, mm -hmm. you're not going to find fitness now in the next four weeks. You're going to find using the engine that you currently have and getting more comfortable with it, getting more comfortable on the bike with it, getting more comfortable with the achiness and the body sitting on the bike because I'm not sure you're even set up um, ideally for it. It also takes the body a while to get comfortable and adjusting to the bike seat and the, the setup itself. Um, all those things are what I would focus on for the next few weeks. Not going any type of effort level on most of my bike rides, but more just sitting in the saddle and riding. Even if that's on trainer road, because you're going to be on a closed course in Placid, um, it'll be fine. And once you clip in, you're in. <laughs> and then, yeah, then you got to ride for three and a half hours. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, so like, so, so for example, so Sunday. Uh, no, Saturday, sorry, I did uh, a 50-miler right around like three and a half hours and, and chilled, and the effort level felt a lot easier than it did in Middlebury, and granted, there's not as many hills as it is in Middlebury, but at the same time, you know, I'm training by myself, I don't have the adrenaline of race day, so yeah, yeah. I don't know, so we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, and, and again, it's I, I could give you all kinds of tips and input here with regards to going easier than you think you should and setting yourself up for the run but quite honestly a month out or you know five weeks out the fun here now is your own experience of learning in your fashion and expediting that learning because you've gone through the first one and now the next one and seeing the progress you've made by applying yourself in a different mindset and thinking it through a little bit more. Now, of course, there's some low-hanging fruit that we can go through before the race with regards to nutrition, with regards to pacing, with regards to the course, what to look out for, um, transitions and stuff like that. Um, and we can gladly talk about that. But Overall, from a training standpoint, I would stick to what you're working on. Stick to the plan that you have. Um, it's a pretty basic plan. You can't do anything wrong with it. It's so basic. Um, but, but, yeah, that's why it's free. And there's nothing wrong with those plans, quite honestly. Um, if you do them all, again, it's just getting you into the frequency of doing something every day. And that's what that plan is. Um, yeah. and that you're thinking like a triathlete at some point every day of I have a workout, I'm going to go execute the workout to the best of my ability, of my current ability, and then 
Boom, close the book, go back to work or go to sleep, wake up the next day, repeat, right? And that process is huge when it comes to understanding where you're going, which is another longer event and another longer event and so forth. But the body gets used to recognizing, you know what, every day I have this window where I get to sweat, I get my heart rate up, I get consistency, I get this steady state aerobic and anaerobic function going, really healthy, really powerful. You come back usually jazzed, creative, ready to work, motivated, focused, energized, right? Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. you know, you go about your day. Hopefully that's not always for the night. Not You're also not always doing everything at night. Hopefully there's some daytime stuff um, with yeah. the trainer and, um, and the runs. But yeah, that's what I would recommend for now. And then post that 70.3 sort of writing down, um, capturing all your thoughts, all your observations with the training over the last six, eight, ten weeks, what you notice you really are missing, what you could do better, things like that. And then start thinking about, okay, well, how do I want to go about this towards the next bigger event? Be smarter about it. Because how you're going about it is exactly how a lot of us go go, go about it. you got to sort of learn and get in the trenches and fail and sort of be a little bit goofy and foolish and, and embarrassed because that's what I was. I mean, you should have seen the cheesy Oakley sunglasses I wore at my first 70.3 where people are like, dude, who wears wire-rimmed sunglasses on, with a bike helmet? Like, yeah. <laughs> straight out of, like, Miami Vice in the 80s. It was ridiculous. <laughs> so, I love it. That's how you do it, yeah. Yeah, you know what? But, but it's just sort of you figure it out. You just keep figuring it out. Um, and that's a perfect example, though, of some, like, you talk about that and the progression to you ultimately of doing 40-plus Ironmans. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, and it, it, and but I also lived it, and that was sort of what I did. And but again, I mean, the same age as where you, where you were, I was figuring it out. Now, of course, I had an advantage that I got out of the water pretty in front of everybody. Um, yeah. So I could quickly I learned to dictate the race or dictate my day based off of that. Like that is just a nice catapult to the front of the field and then sort of making your own mistakes to go backwards yeah. all day. But um, so, yeah, not too much to change there. But then the growth from there becomes that Z2 question and the determining the zones and understanding how to stick with it. That if we did zones right now, you would spend the next three weeks frustrated with it and it wouldn't necessarily improve your six, September 16th outcome. Okay. So instead, I want Sorry. you to have fun. I want you yeah. to really throw spaghetti against the wall, see what sticks. I want you to really um, take that opportunity to race hard and fearlessly and try to blow up, to, like to really blow out your arm, for lack of a better term, yeah. um, while you're doing each discipline to see what that feel like, to, feels like. Yeah. And not be controlled and sometimes like you'll see with that same with that half marathon when we do our first half ironman or something like that it's often our fastest for many years to come because if your fearlessness your lack of um having preconceived experiences and and memories in your mind that was so painful that your body doesn't let you go there again right so mm -hmm. that's that's the fun now and embrace it yeah absolutely no, that's, that's actually, all right, so that's that's actually great that you said that because here I am, Sunday, 
after a 50-mile ride, I have a nine-mile run on the plan. Yeah, that I'm was your longest I'm, weekend, right, I think? Yeah, I'm trying to do zone two on a nine-mile run. No idea what I'm doing, getting all pissed off that my heart rate's getting up to, like, 130-ish. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? You know, just such a – there's so much to learn. So that that's actually good. So, so you think – Scrap the zone two for the next five weeks. Just go hard and just figure it out, and we'll build from there afterwards. Go hard in the race. In in training, I wouldn't necessarily try to blow it out each time because there's going to be limited effects on that. I would say once a week, designate a day, or if you see it on the plan, a workout where you say, all right, this one, I'm getting after it. I'm going to ride hard, and I'm going to run hard off the bike. I'm, this is my weekly sort of check-in test, and I'm going to – learn to push my thresholds and have those burning lungs and the legs turning over fast and just get used to those tolerances as well. Now, you won't go that fast in a 70.3 and feel that much pain, I hope. Otherwise, it's going to go backwards pretty quickly. But the stimulus of doing that will make going a little bit easier than that feel way more efficient and smooth and connected. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Um Chris, do you have like a, I know I have, no, there's no VO2 testing or anything, but do you have like a target heart rate that I should have in mind for myself for, for zone two? Like, yeah, like a rough yeah. threshold? Well, so I have a five by one mile test that I have on my website that okay. you could easily do now. That doesn't affect your training at all. It's five okay. times one mile at, at close to best effort, basically 10K effort, 95%. And from that, I can give you the zones very easily. And you can use those as a guideline over the next few weeks to see how you're currently training. And yes, it will seep into your mind a little bit and it will slow you down or hopefully speed you up at other times when you see you should be going hard. You might go, all right, this is probably a threshold zone four uh, description. And this is a tempo steady a zone three description. And this is an easy aerobic zone two description. So you start incorporating that more into the written words that you're getting. And then the other thing to keep in mind with zones in general or heart rate or power or all the tools, HRV, and so many different inputs that we have and data that we have, all this is designed so that you get a better sense of your own feel so that you can go out for a run in a couple months and go, I'm probably at 123 to 125 heart rate. Then you look at it and you go, look at that, 124 heart rate. Um, that's the purpose. We yeah. never want all these numbers to be the only guideline or the only input. They're just to help us triangulate what we're feeling and getting in tune with that. Because you being in tune with your body, as young as you are, if you can master that skill early on, you can do any endurance, ultra endurance challenge because as you're in the weeds, when you're at four in the morning and you're still connected and listening to your body, that will be way more powerful than any type of training insight you're going to get from a training tool. Got it. Got it. No, that's, that is super helpful. And I, and I can, and I love the data of the Garmin. I know you talk about this a lot on your podcast, but I can feel sometimes being like pulled to the Garmin towards always checking the data and stuff like that. Yep. And, you know, I want to make sure that I keep yeah, staying in tune with the body and keep building on that. 
and I and I am starting to get better with it too. Like I can even tell after a night of sleep whether or not my heart rate's a little bit more jacked up than it should be or not, and you know, and using that as a wedge of how hard I want to go with training. So. Exactly, exactly. But also how you need to prep the next few um, sleep cycles, as well as maybe how you're going to eat that day or yeah. how you're going to hydrate that day, and so all this. I mean, just think, all this knowledge gently just seeps into your brain, into your subconscious, that you're thinking more and more like an ultra-endurance athlete all the time. And it's all data just being compiled and compartmentalized in the right places in your brain so that as you become more and more experienced in the training, it'll you'll fall into the places and patterns that you need to and listen to your body in the proper ways so that you can continue to accelerate the learning process and your outcomes because you've had and paid attention with these past experiences. That's the fun too, to really get into that um, that accelerated learning because you're building upon every version of you. This, the version six weeks ago, the version when you did the marathon, the version when you did a half marathon, all that stuff. You're going to continue to build upon that. And that's the beauty of this too, that the new, the current version already looks back and goes, Man, a half marathon? It used to fatigue me. Now I'm doing that on the back end of a 1.2-mile swim and a 56-mile bike. And soon it goes from there and keeps just growing. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Cool, yeah. cool, cool. Um, so, 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 you know, something I know we, we, we touched on this before. Like, what moving forward, what is the best way to get that bike time down? Because... I, I saw so many people on that 70.3 that were just ripping by me that, you know what I mean? Like, it's like 50-year-old overweight people oh, yeah. just, you know what I mean? Like, it's humbling. But they've been doing it for years. Cycling economy is a very important aspect. And the first thing I would work on with regards to your cycling ability, and many of my athletes will laugh and, and smile about this, is work on your cadence. Most of the time, athletes ride too powerfully, pushing too powerful of a gear um, when they start out cycling. So it's usually in the 70s, upper 60s, never usually in the upper 80s. But in the upper 80s, you're learning that circle function so much better, so smoothly. And if you can start increasing the power in the higher cadence, now you're flying. But to increase the cadence when you're already pushing the big um, resistance, watts, power, that's very hard because the muscles will fatigue quicker than the heart. And the mm -hmm. heart takes over more when the cadence is high because the pounds per square inch through the pedal stroke, when the cadence is high, isn't as the torque isn't as high as if you're going 60s cadence. So allow your cardiovascular system to take over, become more efficient by training higher cadences. And gently, as you get fitter, you'll notice you're able to put in more resistance, more power on that trainer road or outside um, into that higher cadence. Okay, got it, got it, got it. And into that, so my plan has been to probably with, with the logistics of being in the city for now, get mm -hmm. trying to get in like two rides during the week or one ride during the week on a trainer indoors, yeah. And then when I, I go back to my parents' house in Princeton and just kind of hammer one ride a week, whether whether it's Saturday or Sunday. Do you think that's a good plan, or do you think I should be aiming to get outside more than that? Um, well, it is what it is given your lifestyle right now and where you yeah. are, right? But I would actually flip that narrative. 
use your indoor rides to because it's a controlled environment you dictate the resistance you dictate the effort you dictate the climate you dictate when you're drinking you dictate how you're sitting on the bike no traffic lights you can you, you have you're in a controlled environment that you can replicate and that you can measure your results, your your improvement. So that's where I would do the quality. That's where I would do intervals. That's where I would measure my cadences and wattages and inputs and compared to last week and so on and how I'm feeling. On the weekends when you're outside, that's where you chill and just ride and just enjoy the endurance aspect of riding. Okay. Right? Yep. So do you think I should do do so do you not want me to get some any type of like power meter on my bike? Do you think I don't need that? I don't think you need that. I say this to all my athletes. It's a you know, if you have more money than you know what to do with, for sure just spend it. Um but um it's not necessary in the beginning. Um if we get to a place if you get to a place, if any athlete gets to a place where they're limited because heart rate isn't giving them enough data, they are such good triathletes, cyclists, athletes, that we're in a good place. <laughs> then, if you decide to add a power meter, good for you. But I've known many world champions. I've known many Ironman world champions. I've known Tour de France winners who've never used a power meter. So... The capabilities of heart rate, again, just to give you insight of what you're currently feeling, mainly a high ceiling of saying, okay, I don't want to go over this number today, and I don't want to let it fall below this number. Heart rate's good for that. Heart rate is not good for the individual details of every second and every minute because there's a lagging effect, right? By the time the heart rate comes down after a strong effort, it might be 90 seconds after you finish the effort. So it's hard to do those intervals like that. But to give yourself a range to say, let's say, all right, today I'm not going to let it fall below 110 or let it go over 130. I'm going to keep it in that range for the next three hours. Heart rate's great for that. Okay, got it. Got it. That's helpful. Um, yeah, I think that as you're saying all this stuff, I just have this thing in the back of my mind where I'd love to figure out a way to get my bike time down over time, like at least an hour or something like that. I don't know yep. if that's just, I don't know. Well, just, you know those are pieces absolutely, totally possible. Um, you, you don't want to put any limitations onto yourself of what you're capable of. It's just a question, like I keep saying lately on the podcast as well, of how and when. Um, by giving yourself a time limit by when you'll drop an hour and are doing 245, 230 on a bike split at a 70.3, that becomes a different question, right? Because then time available and training hours versus the rest of your days and um, work and so forth become a different equation. But can you? Absolutely. Um, it's just a question of time now, of spending time in the saddle. Um, there's an old book out there about running that's really great, but the quote is trials of miles and miles of trials. You sort of got to go through those, the back and forth of the two. Um, same thing on the bike. And yeah. 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 And, that's, and that's part of the thought process too, where like even though I did get some good time, on the trainer this winter, like if I'm going to be honest with you, I probably have had less than 20 rides outdoors ever on a road bike. Yeah. 
and that that's fine. That I've I've had many athletes in a similar situation. I know professional triathletes who do less than twenty rides a year outside, and that wow. includes their racing. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, you that's know they don't just it's it's dangerous. It's not as time efficient. It's there's a lot of traffic and traffic lights by the time they get out of the cities or the locations where they live in order to properly train or they live in a place where the climate is not friendly uh, other than three months out of the year. So yeah, they spend a ton of time indoors on their trainer. It is what it is. It's not ideal because quite honestly, in my opinion, you don't get to enjoy the beauty and the joy of cycling as much because in the hills and rolling countryside and taking that in and Feeling nature and the air around you is pretty powerful once you start getting really fit and hitting some places where you're like, wow, this is what cycling's about. Um, yeah. But that's all in the future. Yeah. And even now, like, I'm just starting to feel that. Like, I, I really did feel that on a 50 miler this weekend of just kind of like in taking in all the scenery, just in, enjoying the feeling, not feeling tied to looking at my watch, hoping that I, you know, just knocked off five miles kind of yeah. thing. Exactly. Um, where, exactly. Where Chris, I really did feel like for that first seventy point three, it was just like that grinder mentality of feeling obligated to go work out and go get your your running on the treadmill, go get your you yeah. know biking on the trainer, go to the go to the pool and get your swim in, and it's it's a lot of the stuff that you're talking about where you're feeling tied to the training and um, and you're saying to yourself well, why why are you even doing this if you're not a, if you're not enjoying um, the actual experience of the training and what you're getting out of it? Yeah, and my worry would also be that you'll burn out. And not because of, of what you're doing. It's just the joy. There's not. It's a chore, right? Yeah. And this should be something, given that we work all day and we have other commitments, this should be a release, a hobby, letting go, exhale, excitement, feeling alive, feeling connected. It should only yield positive things. Now, of course, getting up at 4.30 in the morning to do a run and when it's November 10th in Central Park and it's like wet drizzle snow rain yeah, yeah it's not fun but afterwards you're going that was pretty awesome the fact that yeah. i had the city streets to myself it was empty i was running in the middle of fifth avenue and nobody was even bugging me besides a bunch of raccoons and rats oh but, yeah. <laughs> yeah oh yeah no i've been there i know i know what it's like to train in new york city um Sorry. so what you'll find also is that central park loop there's a pretty intense um, huge cycling group that rides that um, but you'll get there that might be something down the road to start thinking about because it's a great intensity workout to try to keep up with that pace line pack of 40 50 60 75 riders and I have a bunch of guys in that group that um, are old friends so um, it's something that down the road we could probably introduce you to but um, for now um, I wouldn't watch you getting kicked, pushed, and punched out of that, out of that group. Yeah, no, absolutely. Are those, the, is that the group, I, I mean, I've seen, I remember when I went that one time at like five o'clock in the morning, there were a bunch of nut jobs in the Peloton, like all wearing matching gear, like tire to tire, just ripping it. I don't it, know if that, it, it, That's yeah. basically them, but like on a Saturday morning or a Wednesday morning, that group is huge and even crazier. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, but, yeah, that's what I need. I think yeah, I need that down the road. It's just man. where you hang on for as long as you can and your tongue's hanging to the ground on the last few laps and then you blow up and you ride home like with your tail between your legs and go, that was freaking awesome. <laughs> 
but but that's what you but you hit on that a lot though in your podcast right of like getting to that point where you're feeling comfortable to blow up in training and say f it like i don't care if this is gonna happen this is what i need exactly and you learn from that and the important thing is we want to keep learning and i had a conversation with an athlete today about his race and he blew up and we went back and forth a little bit in a not testy way but not agreeing but then it quickly turned into that he wanted to have that experience of blowing up and failing because he knew it will help him learn quicker and understand the training going forward so much better. And yeah. that's a huge component of this, of it, because the journey is long. And if you have some failures along the way, it just solidifies the path, the clarity of this is my path and I really dig it because I'm willing to fail. Like a lot of times in endeavors we do in life, whether it's work or personal stuff or even sports, if you don't want to fail, that means you're not really into it. Um, you know, then you're just playing it safe and just riding the wave and you're like, whatever, I'm punching a clock. But when you're willing to fail, when you're willing to feel the ones and twos, but also the nines and tens versus staying in the middle at a five, that's when you're having fun and you're, there's joy and vitality in it. And that's, that's what should fire you up. Absolutely. And, and Chris, that is why I'm excited about this next 70.3 because I felt, to be honest with you, the first 70.3 was a little bit cautious of just, you know, there's so many bikers around you. You yep. don't know what what's the point of no return kind of thing. Yep. I did feel like I was coasting a little bit on the bike, and I didn't think my nutrition was as dialed in as it could have been. So I'm excited for this next race to just, I feel so much, you know, just better about having done that first one and getting in some longer rides in yep. the meantime and just kind of seeing what I can do on it. Like, yeah, you, know, you, you I, have I the know, line in the sand, right? So you yeah. know where to go forward from. Now, it might not be a huge jump, which is fine, but it will be a step forward from that line in the sand. And each distance will change that moving forward, but you'll continue to progress. Got it. Absolutely. So cool. talk to me about um, Alaska Man I see here that you're thinking about. So, yeah. So I guess maybe we could tie in that in just a full. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be like within the next two years – Something like another thing when I think about of like just really pushing it to the next level, that is something that really excites me. Like the concept of the cold water, being in a mountain, being in a totally other state that I've never been to, like just in really connecting with yourself in an entirely different part of the country. Um, I, I don't know. I just, it's, it just, I'm just gravitating towards it. Like I'd love to just put in the work and see if I could do something like that. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, if, 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 if there's something inside you that is intrigued by that, listen to that. That's an interesting, that's always going to guide you in a positive way. Um, and if it doesn't, you know what? You'll quickly learn to ignore that, that voice. But um, for now, yeah, for sure, if that intrigues you, can you do it? Of course you can do it. Um, yeah. It's just a question of time and, uh, you know, how much you're going to put into it with regards to what your desired outcome is and expectations are. If it's just to finish, you'll do fine. Um, you know, but you want to continue to progress and be curious with this lifestyle and this training. And so there'll be a lot. Ironman training or iron distance in this case training is a little bit different animal, but again, you can build around it to use your Princeton weekends and maybe some training weekends with some people that you get to know. 
and then sort of get the volume in in different ways. But you'll also be exposed to different adventures and different people um, the more you're in this and the different adventures and the weekends that they get out of Manhattan and find you know great rides, whether it's up on 9W and Bear, and Bear Mountain and yeah. all the different training routes up there. But that's where you want to start getting into that space once uh, Placid is done. Got it. Do you think that it's a good mindset to have to want to go from this next 70.3 to trying to knock off a full in 2020? Sure, sure. There's there's so many different paths you can take. There's definitely athletes who want to first, not perfect, but do the best that they believe they can do at a 70.3 before they move on. But again, there's many inputs there, whether their life situation allows it and family and children and wives and husbands and so there's everybody has different restrictions and where you are in your career and maybe not the time available. Now, the, 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 the biggest thing here is time, availability of time, because when you're getting ready for a 112-mile bike ride, or in this case, Alaska Man 114 or 115, it's, um, you know, it's six-hour bike rides. Um, it's seven-hour bike rides occasionally, not every weekend, but occasionally a seven-hour bike ride. Um, yeah. It's hard to do that. And then on the easy weekends, three, four hour bike rides, right? So it changes the dynamics. But again, in your training, and this is what many overlook, as you get fitter, what what now is a three hour bike ride will feel like it will, will be what a five hour bike ride feels like. And what is now um, a 90 minute bike ride will be then a three hour bike ride. You'll be like, I don't even need to bring food to a three hour bike ride. Why? <laughs> so, yeah, it, everything changes. You you progress as an athlete and as a perspective, and your understanding of time and distance as well. Got it. Yeah, there's just something that's compelling me towards wanting to do that full in 2020 and just trying to make that jump up to see how I how I fare on. It's just like figuring it's figuring out the right race because really, I feel like the closest race is probably would probably be the full Lake Placid a year from now. Yeah. I don't want to be here. I want to try and do something a little bit sooner than that if I can. Yeah, yeah. There's only one way to find out, I always say. <laughs> you got to go do it. Yeah. You got to experience it yourself because that will also clarify for you, man, I absolutely love that. I want to do this type of distance again. Or that was pretty awesome, but I'm, I'm, I even want to go further. Or you know what? That took too much time. I just don't have it right now. I might in the future, but for now, I'm going to pull back and focus on 70.3s or marathons or 50Ks or swim around Manhattan or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I don't, you probably get this all the time, people that are asking you questions that they really know the answer to themselves deep down. And I feel like that's something where I have my – there's something in my mind that I want to do a full – I have a lot of I have a lot of free time, right? Um, you know, I have a girlfriend, but no, no kids or anything. Like yeah, that. Just like the city. Um, so like I have the time to do it, and I want to commit to it. So why not just do it? For sure, for sure. Cool. Stepping in with two feet is half the fun as well. If you're sort of broaching upon it, and you sort of train a little bit for it, it actually is less of a positive experience. I'm not willing to say it's a negative experience, but it's less of a positive experience because you're not really in it fully to fully take it all in and learn and absorb and grow and feel it. So, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, cool. So one of the other questions I had that I didn't write down, I listened to your podcast 
a week ago when you were talking about stretch cords. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd love to talk to you, like, kind of just some recommendations on that a little bit because all the swimming that I'm doing is pretty much on my own. Like, I'm not going to any type of master swim class or have a coach. Yep. Um, and I'm, you know, building up decent volume. Like, I'm doing, like, 2,500-meter swims or, like, 3,000-meter swims, but probably questionable form, and I can feel it a little bit in the like the front of my uh, front of my shoulder a little bit. Right. Um, it's just tough for me to get in because that pool, even though it's really cheap, it has limited hours. Yep. So there's some days where I probably would just make more sense for me to do some type of a stretch cords workout. Yeah. Well, the the here's one of those areas where I would um, defer to um, not doing that. And this is this doesn't okay. come up very often, but because of the pain or they're noticing something on the front of your shoulder, that's exactly the wrong spot to notice it. That means you're pulling back on the water incorrectly, um, and you're not using your lats, and you're using more the front of your shoulder and um, that muscular group. And so doing stretch cords with higher resistance will just exasperate that issue. Um, So we would want to figure out how to get you some swim time, swim, not lessons, but input to improve your stroke. Um, So there's a variety of ways. Of course, you can uh, search around for some lessons or some input in New York um, and and then get better at that. Then there's, of course, swim camps that you can do, amazing swim camps. Some of the Swim Smooth guys are really good. They do video analysis and do the full thing. It's like a three-day weekend thing, and your stroke will improve dramatically from that. So there's um, Swim Smooth definitely has some great resources there. And I know I talk about them all the time, but it's just when you find something where people are so successful with it it's everything that i believe in and they have a system where they have certified coaches around the country it's like why waste our time with anything else if we can be more efficient and just find what works agreed okay so i would focus on that and then then you can start thinking of stretch cords where i would go one easier than the green i think that's the yellow if i'm not and this is again it's just about repeating the motion of swimming on dry land and doing the um, the swimming format or the efficiency of the motion again because as you know from baseball if you have some bad mechanics in there the repetitive action will eventually break down that that chain and you it will find the spot to become an injury. Yeah, absolutely. That's good to know. Yeah, I did so much band work when I was a pitcher. I probably was a way better swimmer like two years ago. (laughs) Exactly. But you guys do opposite direction and do some elbow stuff. And it's different than the swimming motion, which is more of a lat pull down. Whereas you guys are uh, keeping your, you know, your elbows and your upper shoulders um, more limber and for the, the torque that you're about to put it through, especially when your hand is behind your body and the rest of your body is like already falling off the mound. Whenever I see those pictures, I'm like, oh. Oh my gosh. I can't like, I, I mean, I, uh, I tore my UCL. I had a bunch of different shoulder issues and elbow issues. It's nice to... Uh, it was the type of thing where when I was done with baseball, I was, you know, I, I definitely missed the aspect of competing, but I don't really miss playing itself. I don't know if you felt similar when you were done swimming, but. Yeah, I um, I didn't have that with swimming. I was just, um, I had a variety of other um, <laughs> things that I was tired of. And so yeah. it was nice to move into something outside in the fresh air versus indoors staring at a black line. 
That's true. That's true. So, awesome. what other questions can I answer? I literally just had I just had something, and I don't know why it is escaping my mind right now. I didn't write it down. I had it in the back. Um. So, so what? Um. In terms of like other uh, coaching options and stuff like that. Is it just, is it um, like what you, what you have on the website in terms of like six month plans? Is that, is that what you have? What does that look like? Because I'd obviously love to continue working with you in, in some aspect, but trying to, trying to figure that out would be awesome too. Well, one with this call, we'll do a follow up and after your race, um, uh, 70.3, we can even do it before. I usually follow up with my consults about six weeks later and see what questions come up or what kind of things or, or, or exactly questions come up and what the next sort of phase of training would be look like in order to slingshot the athlete forward. In your case, since I'm not really breaking down a training plan for you because you are five weeks out of your main event, your, your biggest event so far um, in your triathlon build, that way to change too much now and change the concepts would be um, I, I wouldn't feel good about doing that. So we can easily go over that in six weeks once you're done with the race and sort of catapult you into the fall. Um, but for you, in, in your case, coaching looks like, I mean, we would want to build up a platform ever so gently but deliberately in order for you to do an iron distance 10 months later. Um, yeah. And so that would in, entail a fair amount of core stability strength work um, mixed in with um, the endurance training um, you know I have a, my athletes do a lot of swimming just because and not because it's um, my background but because it's low impact on the joints and the body and you're still getting a great aerobic effect and the aspect that you're limiting your breathing while doing an exercise, in my opinion, um, no science behind this, um, it accelerates your fitness aspect. It's the same thing as people wear masks when they're riding bikes or running. Um, limiting your breathing while swimming is a great way to sort of improve your oxygen um, uptake and utilization. Got it. Okay, so I, yeah, I found for me as well that for some reason, swimming takes the longest for me to get into that, um, you know, that that joyful state that I have. I, I feel like it's a lot quicker for me with cycling and running. Yep. But there's something about swimming and like knowing I have, you know, that regimented workout. It just I've just been noticing it takes me a lot longer to like get into the heart of it and enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, and that's everybody has their inefficiencies in their sports. Um, some people that's struggling with running, and others struggle with cycling. But yeah, swimming is the the big challenge for most triathletes because it's something so foreign, so um, hard to sort of wrap our minds around the motion that we're doing. It's just it takes a while for it to feel natural, and it's frustrating. But again, that's one thing I always say to triathletes, like I said earlier, is don't worry too much about the swimming aspect because we'll find efficiencies and time in just swimming and then, because we're doing it frequently, but um, we'll spend our time getting huge gains in the bike and the running. Awesome. Cool, cool, cool. And then to that point, something I'm going to ask you as well, can you talk to me a little bit just about fitting in weight training over these next couple of weeks? Um, cause the last three weeks, to be honest with you, I haven't done any weightlifting. It's, 
And it's, it's probably just been more a byproduct of my schedule where um, I've been just prioritizing work and then the endurance training. And then, um, you know, I've started, I've noticed I've been starting to I, I lose muscle pretty quickly. So, yeah. Should I, yeah. Well, so two aspects there. One, um, weight lifting, weight training is a difficult word to work around because it doesn't really fit into the endurance training aspect. We're looking to change our body composition into longer, leaner muscles. And so the strength training that we would be looking to do would facilitate that, would help that, number one. Number two, it also is designed to have the body um, absorb the impact and become more durable with the training it's doing, biking, running, and swimming. So that's the desired outcome of the strength training, avoiding injury, become more durable, and changing the body composition to a stronger, leaner um, muscular structure that is more helpful, lighter, faster for moving the body over ground or through water. Um, so that's one thing. The second aspect here is um, if you start re-engaging, by the time you're absorbing, adapting to the strength you're putting on or, or, or looking to gain or you're looking to utilize, it'll be three, four weeks from now. So you have maybe a 10-day window where you're truly adapting the strength that you're doing and then you're sort of two, three days out of the race. So I'm not sure if that's the the best use of your time. I would spend that time on maximizing biking and running time. And don't underestimate the aspect of going for a 30-minute run at lunch if you can shower at work or going for a 30-minute run after work and then getting home and then swimming or then getting on your trainer. Um, it's the accumulation, it's the frequency of doing said sport activity discipline right now that is going to maximize your outcome so that you're looking at a volume for the week of let's say um, instead of eight hours you got in 12 just because you sprinkled in short stuff here and there that's great because you're not recovering enough time between a a five o'clock run, a seven o'clock bike ride, and a 5 a.m. swim, right? That's just all the body just continues to see itself as, here I go again. I'm doing some sort of aerobic, anaerobic activity. Um, yeah. So over seven days, you're sort of going, wow, I got in a fair amount of training by just doing the 40 minute here, the hour there, the 30 minute here. And so that's what I would think about as you hit sort of peak numbers here until you're about two weeks out and then um, you're going to start bringing it down and getting lots of sleep and uh, recovering for that race. And I can help you prior to that 70.3 to make sure you're um, getting in the proper fuel and hydration for the event as well as in your prep. So I'll send you something from this call on uh, guidelines for hydration and fueling, which you've probably heard on the podcast too. Um, but that yes. approach and then... Yeah, and then you're ready to just hammer. I love it. I love it. Um, and I know we're winding down on time too, but I so that just prompted something else. Where yeah. so like tomorrow during lunch, I'm gonna go. I think it said that like a 40 minute run tomorrow, easy. Yeah. So from your perspective, am I thinking zone two during that run, or what does that look like? Yeah. So helpful for you will be to find some time over the next five, six days to do the five by one mile test. And that way I can give you some zones so okay. that you can do the easy tempo, moderate, um, fast threshold zone four. But on the other hand, you also want to 
feel pretty good about differentiating for yourself, whether you have zones or not, um, for any athlete training. I, I get frustrated about this coaching in the pool, and that is you should have an easy pace whether you're swimming or biking or running, that you're like, okay, this is really easy. I can stay here and it doesn't really tax me, um, get me out of breath. Then you should have a moderate pace where it's like, I could do this for a while, but it's definitely not easy. And then there should be a hard effort or a strong or a fast effort, which is like, this is pretty uncomfortable. I'm not sure how long I can sustain it, but I probably can do it for about seven-ish, eight-ish minutes, and then I have to walk. I'm blowing up. So the clear differentiation between your speeds already has a huge stimulus on your physiology and your engine and your um, capacity aerobic and anaerobic so that you can teach your body and it will qu quickly recognize, oh, this is easy. Oh, this is, I got to prep myself now, sugars, glycogen to go fast. I got to pump that engine or we're going easy. Let me start burning some fats here and get ready for the diesel to just hold this pace for a long time. Got it. Perfect. Yeah, so I can definitely do, I know for a fact that I can do the five by month, one mile test this weekend. Mm -hmm. So I can send you that. What would you particular, what would you need me to send you? Well, you'll see it on the website. It has all the instructions on there. Perfect. So it's heart rate and paces for each, and it's a minute rest between each. But you'll see it on the website. It's pretty detailed on there, and then I can send you the, the data back. And then down the road, there's a pretty solid testing facility in New York City that if we did want to do lactate testing, I trust those guys. They do really well um, so far. I've got nothing but good test data back from them. And so, yeah, you have it all there, man. That's, that's, yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the downside to being in New York City. And, and, and I think for me, I would just love to, you know, try and continue, like, start to, to work with you in some capacity and figure out something there that, that, that works. Cause I know obviously we're on different coasts, but, um, like I've just really gravitated, gravitated towards your mindset and your principles. And I've just been loving listening to that content. And I'd love, cool. like, I'm starting to make the next jump. If I could, you know, yeah. work with you in that capacity, that'd be awesome. Well, I'm always here on the other side, and yeah, the coasts have nothing to do with it. There's athletes all around the world, many that I've never met or I've never even been close to their country that I um, that I work with, and so yeah. However, however it works out. Have a great awesome. evening. Hey, you too, man. Take all care. Right. Bye bye. Bye.